You're listening to Give Me the Bible with Len. Today's program is entitled Water. Hello my radio friends. Welcome to the program today and I'm glad you've joined me to hear more from God's Word, the Bible. As you would well know, parts of Australia have been in the grip of a drought recently and many people are desperate for water. Many country towns are on severe water restrictions and it is possible we'll run out of water. If ever there was a time when country people need your prayers, it's now. The economy of Australia largely depends on water. Water is life. Although water is an inert compound and has no life of itself, it is a necessary substance for living organisms to have and maintain life. The Bible has much to say about water. It's mentioned both at the beginning and ending of the Bible, and there are many references in between. When new settlements were made in otherwise uninhabited areas, they were usually placed near a ready source of water, especially streams or rivers. Most towns and cities in the world today are located right next to a river. Adelaide, for example, was located next to the River Torrens, Melbourne, the Yarra, Perth, the Swan, and so on. As water is mentioned often in the Bible, so are rivers. The book of Psalms begins describing a good man. Psalm 1, verses 1 to 3 states, Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, or stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of mockers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. Now, that's a wonderful description of what a true Christian should be like. Firstly, the statement points out that such a person is blessed. If you read what Moses and later Joshua said to the people, both injunctions can be summarized in this way. If you honor and obey God, you will be blessed. If you're disobedient, things will not go well for you. This universal theme was also taken up in the prayer of Solomon at the dedication of the temple and in the prayer of Nehemiah before revealing to the Persian king Artaxerxes, telling him why he was so troubled. If in your life things are difficult, could it be that you have not been obedient to what God has outlined? Could it be that although you desire to be blessed and at peace, that you've been living according to your own rules and not God's? I'd like to suggest 
that you cannot have your cake and eat it too. Meaning, in this sense, you can't live a sinful life and expect God to bless you. Psalms 1 also points out that the good man, or person, avoids the company and the lifestyle of wicked people. Those people have no time for temperate godly living. Now, that doesn't mean that we as Christians should have nothing to do with those who live carelessly. After all, God loves them too and gave us a commission to reach out to them with the gospel message. But we should not allow their values and their lifestyles to corrupt ours. And this very point is highlighted in Romans 12.2, where it is written, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Psalm 1 also talks about what mental processes a good man has. He thinks about his responsibilities to God and man. More than that, the good man realises what a beautiful statement of ethics and human rights God's law is. God's law is a rule of justice, respect, and a guide to proper behaviour for all mankind. To meditate and give thought to God's law is uplifting. It provides a model a framework for living. Now we come to the streams of water part. The good man is likened to a tree growing near a stream of water. It flourishes. It nourishes. It gains its moisture from a nearby stream and never is it affected by drought. Despite our modern age being a moral drought, the good man remains fresh and productive. Oh, that the world had many more people like the psalmist described in those first few words. And you know, this is a challenge for me. I ask myself, am I bearing fruit in season? Or am I a disappointment to my God and to others? Am I someone who people enjoy being with? because of my connection to the life-giver, who is metaphorically described in the above passage as a stream of water? Probably the most well-known of the Psalms is number 23, which is about what happens when a person makes a full commitment to the Lord, and as a result of that commitment, he or she has peace, happiness, reassurance and confidence. Here are the first three verses of Psalm 23. You probably know these. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. The word pictures and imagery initially picture the Lord as a shepherd who tenderly and carefully cares for his flock of sheep. The sheep 
representing his people. Those sheep are fortunate because they receive the best treatment. They are loved by the shepherd. The simile extends to God's people who are loved and blessed and led by God. Now you've probably heard me mention in the past that I grew up on a farm at a small village named Wangala, about halfway between Manham and Swan Reach on the River Murray in South Australia. There we had sheep and cattle, grew cereal crops, grew vegetables and fruit commercially, had access to an abundance of water, fished in the river from bank, the banks of our own property. It was a wonderful, interesting, stimulating environment and I'm grateful for having had the opportunity of spending my childhood in such a fascinating place. The message of Psalm 23 has special meaning for me and I easily relate to it. I've observed sheep. When there's plenty of fresh green grass to eat, the sheep get up in the morning, graze for an hour or two, then lie down to rest. They are satisfied. On the other hand, when food is scarce, such as in a time of drought, they do not lie down. They're busy all day. There is no time to rest. They're constantly searching for food. It seems that without God in their lives, people are always searching for something, yet are never satisfied, never at rest. There is a constant quest for more, more entertainment, more money, more possessions, more, more, more. When we put God first and commit ourselves to him, there is rest. There is peace even in times of stress. Friends, if you do not have peace, I'd like to suggest you need to accept God's promises, to accept what Jesus did for you, and submit to the Lord's will. I want to tell you that it is wonderful to know that you belong to God because he takes the burdens off your shoulders and will, if you let him, work things out in ways that you might never have imagined. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7, there is this. It says, Cast all your cares on him, because he cares for you. And this reiterates what I previously said. Psalm 23 mentions the shepherd leading his flock beside still or quiet waters. What are quiet waters? Well, they are waters that are deep. There's plenty of water, water in abundance. But what do those waters represent? Well, that brings us to the next Bible reference found in John 4. You see, Jesus and his disciples had gone across the border into Samaria. It was about midday and was probably quite hot. Not far from the town of Sychar, Jesus stopped near a well and sat down while the disciples went into town to see if they could buy food. While Jesus sat alone near the well, 
Along came a Samaritan woman carrying an empty water jar to collect water for her household. When she arrived at the well, Jesus asked, Please, would you give me a drink? This was a complete surprise for the woman, who understood that the Jews thought themselves superior to the Samaritans and would never lower themselves to speak to a Samaritan, let alone ask a Samaritan woman for a favour. I want to read to you from John 4, verses 10 to 14. Jesus answered, If you knew the gift of God, and who it is who asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his flocks and herds? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman mentioned the well. It was deep. We're going to stop here and have a short break, and I'll go on with this straight afterwards. Come and welcome 
Paul back to Psalm 23, where the shepherd leads his flocks to quiet waters. Those quiet waters are deep like the well. So it is with the living water God gives. It is deep. It is difficult to explain and it's difficult to understand, but it satisfies. The living waters, the deep quiet waters, refers to the gospel message. It is the knowledge and acceptance of that knowledge that your sins can be forgiven through the intervention of Jesus Christ. It is the understanding that you become one of God's children and that he, your Heavenly Father, wants you in his kingdom. It is the hope and assurance of eternal life. It is the hope and peace that many committed Christians enjoy. And it is real. It's not sterile, but is an active, vibrant relationship with our Lord. It is a companionship where God is your best friend. And I can tell you from personal experience, it is highly desirable. If for some reason God was not in my life, I would feel that there was no anchor, no reference point. I'd feel hopeless and without a sense of purpose. And I would probably, like many others, try to drown myself in mind-numbing activities or to keep myself amused to mask the purposeless of life. Recently, I heard an interesting statistic about Australian drinking habits. I heard it on the news. A survey about Australian drinkers reported that up to 70% of Australians drink in order to get drunk. Now, I can't vouch for the accuracy of those survey results, but if the conclusions are true, then it highlights a huge social problem. It means people are using alcohol and drugs as well to escape reality. Far better to drink of the water of life and have hope and assurance of God's love and the promise of eternal life than to drown your sorrows in something that only has a temporary benefit at best. Isaiah chapter 58 is one of the most beautiful chapters in the Bible. You should read it before you go to sleep tonight. Basically, it is about the kind of people God calls his own. Early in the chapter, God points out that many people who claim to be religious are only that externally. But what God desires is that we be Christians in what we are seen to do and in what is not visible. In other words, he desires that his people are Christians at heart, that they are committed to serve him 24-7 and completely. I want to read to you from verse 8 right through to verse 11. Here's what Isaiah 58 says. Then, when you choose to totally commit yourself to me, your light will break forth like dawn and your healing will quickly appear. 
Then your righteousness will go before you, and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call, and I, the Lord, will answer. You will cry for help, and he will say, Here I am. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing finger and malicious talk, and if you spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness, and your light will become like the noonday. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. Earlier we saw how Jesus, who was talking to the Samaritan woman, offered her living water. But the prophet Isaiah, presenting a message from God to the people, wrote that those who serve him and do his will will themselves become like a well-watered garden and like a spring whose waters never fail. Imagine walking in a desert. You're extremely thirsty and there's no water to be seen anywhere. Then you come across a spring and drink from it. You'd certainly be very grateful for that spring. Isaiah describes God's people being like a spring that never runs dry. The people themselves will become beneficial to others. How? People who are not the followers of the Lord are usually self-centered and are often involved in activities that are not beneficial to the rest of society. Some are involved in criminal activities and don't care for the interests of others. Living in such a society is hard and unpleasant. In that type of environment, one is always on the lookout to protect himself or herself and to protect his property. But when there is true Christian who obeys God's laws and put them into practice, it's different. Such a person is like a breath of fresh air or like a spring of water in a dry desert. Oh, that there would be more people like that in this sin-damaged, hostile world. Now, Revelation chapter 22, the first two verses, presents a different lot of water, water that is holy and pure. The prophet John was shown this and he wrote down, Then the angel of the Lord showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree for the healing of the nations. This water mentioned is no ordinary water. It is water described as the water of life, its source being the life giver and who has life in himself. It's talking about God, 
the one who made the heavens and the earth. And this water of life is not a mere drop or two, but a flowing river. It is abundant. Those who drink from this river will not have a short life. They will have a full, abundant life, eternal life. I just don't understand why so many people reject committing themselves to the Lord when God promises that those who do will be given eternal life. You see, God's promises are true. God cannot and does not lie. So why, I wonder, do people ignore those promises? And I, for one, have made my choice. I believe what God has promised, and I want to spend eternity with him, he who has firstly given me life, and secondly gave his life that I might have eternal life. I think it would be completely stupid for Jesus to sacrifice his perfect life for us for any other reason other than that he wanted us to have eternal life. To finish today, I want to ask you, what is your response to the living water that's been offered to you? Is all you want just to live a few troubled years on earth and then die forevermore? That's a short-sighted view. Or are you one who will take God at his word, accept the conditions whereby you can be saved, and then await the second coming of Jesus so that you can take up what God has offered you? You'd be foolish not to. So, my friends, as you use water in whatever way, May it remind you of God's plan for you to give you the abundant life which lasts forever. So, until next time then, this is Len signing off and wish you blessings, peace and the abundant life. Will